Hello. <laughs> uh, welcome to, to, to this week's episode of uh, Juice in the Big Screen, the movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your critics, Joshua Tracer. And I'm Roger Ebert. Thanks, Cisco. Um, we, Was it Gregory? Greg? Gene. Gene, Gene Siskel. Um, we have made that joke like three weeks straight. <laughs> I don't remember. Which is why we keep making them. Touche. <laughs> uh, we're talking today about the 2020 film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and the 1987 film, Wall Street. Uh, Corwin Heller, are you ready to get started? How about now? Okay. All right. Um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start on Wall Street or in Oklahoma? Let's start about Wall Street. All right. Uh, 1987's Wall Street. Are we sure this didn't take place also in Oklahoma? We can't be sure. Okay. Um, written and directed by Oliver Stone, co-written by Stanley Weiser, starring Charlie Sheen, Michael Douglas, and Tamari Tooney. Who the fuck are and you? And also Martin Sheen, and also Oliver Stone. He's in this? Yeah. I don't remember. He was one of the dudes that they call, like, hey, tell all your buddies about this. And then he was one of those dudes. Yeah, sure. Um, anyway, it had an estimated budget of $15 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $43.4 million. So, a success. More modest than I think what you'd expect from an Oliver Stone film, but whatever. Um, it ha- its tagline was, every dream has a price. Interesting. That's actually fairly good. Plot, hold on, hold on. Plot keywords, capitalism, 1980s, blowjob. <laughs> what? There's, wait, there's... <laughs> there is one blowjob in the movie. It is not a... It's not a key plot point. <laughs> Who wrote this? It lets literally... I didn't even realize this was a category. Plot keywords, capitalism, 1980s, blowjob, fired from the job, critique of capitalism. Can you can you click on that and see what other movies are used? The Devil, devil all, the all the Time? time? 365 Days, The Wolf of Wall Street? That at least makes sense. Bruno. Oh, uh, Bruno. The yeah. Devil's Advocate? Why? Love that airplane? Love, actually. All right, we're... I can't keep doing this. Um, it won one Oscar on the back of one nomination, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Michael Douglas. Really? Really. Um, it is about a young and impatient stockbroker who is willing to do anything to get the top, to get to the top, including trading on illegal inside information taken through a ruthless and greedy corporate raider who takes the youth under his wang. Um <laughs> Corin, what this was your pick, so you can start. What did you think of Wall Street? Oh man, it really just made me want to go. It okay, all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think I should just leave them. Um, and you live here. It Sorry. made me want to go out and buy some stocks. It made me want to go get a job on Wall Street so that I could be stressed out all the time, make far too much money that I'm worth, and lose. All my money on cocaine and hookers. Um, that being said, I, I, it's been a long time since I saw this. And I remembered it being a better film. Like, it's a good, enjoyable movie. But I thought it was more of a, you know, impactful film than what it actually was. It was enjoyable. It had, you know, a good message, I thought. Especially coming out in 87. Um, that was before the crash, right? That was 89? Yeah. I was not... I'm actually not sure if it was 89 or 87. It might have been 87. Because I want to say it happened under Reagan. Ooh. That's fair. Either way, this movie was, you know, in production when it happened, or before, you know, that happened. It's of the era. Right. Um... That being said, I think it does do a, a fairly good job of showing all of the high points and also crushing low points of capitalism and you know free market economies. Um, and you know while it's not exactly good, <laughs> fair, uh, it doesn't actually get to the point where you know I would have wanted for you know my socialist, communist, Marxist self would want it. Yeah, still does highlight. 
the reasons why capitalism is fucking bad. Um, and uh, you know what? It's a very Oliver Stone movie. Oh, it's a very Oliver Stone movie. Um, so I, I we've, we've talked about this before where it's like, I agree with the thesis of this film, but still do not like the way it was made. And for me, I'm going to, I'm going to try to put it to you this way. Okay. I don't think they did a good job of showing why, showing why, what they think the problems with capitalism are. Cause I think a lot of this movie is business talk. Mm-hmm. When a lot more of this movie should have been nefarious dealings of the business world, because mm-hmm. you really only get like two parts of the movie that really do that. It's in my mind because like the little that little bit of insider trading at the beginning isn't that big of a deal. No. Um, in terms of how they treat it in the plot, and in terms of in all likelihood real life getting a stock tip from another guy. Yes, it's technically insider trading, but, like, who cares? Who doesn't Who doesn't do that all the time? You know? Yeah. Besides the, our entire country. It's a type of light, white-collar crime that, like, you'd probably do and not feel bad about it. You um, would do it and not feel bad, and if you got caught more often than not, it would be a slap on the wrist rather than... Right. It'd be so easy if you'd just be like, oh, I didn't realize that's how insider trading worked. Right. I'm an idiot. And they would be like, yeah, you are an idiot. Give me $2. Uh, and you would go, aww. Darn. Uh, but or aka how much taxes the president tri- paid in last year's <laughs> Yeah, it, I I got what you mean though. Um so the only two parts I think that actually really spent any time looking at like the bad parts of what the this movie says capitalism, or more specifically Wall Street is, is when he had is when um what's his fucking name? Mark, Michael Douglas had Charlie Sheen go follow that one guy around mm-hmm. so they could figure out what business he was trying to buy. And then Which even wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's not like he really broke any laws doing that. Um, mm-hmm. It's made to be shady, and it is kind of shady, but, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, the whole planning on stripping down the uh, airliner, mm-hmm. the airline company. Which to, is unethical, not illegal. Right, and that's the thing, is this movie took a weird stance on everything by making the bad guy, Gordon Gecko feel really slimy. And he, he certainly did feel slimy. And he was definitely Kurt and mean. He was not Kirk Douglas, he was Michael Douglas. He was not Kirk, he was Kurt. Um, <laughs> and he was Michael, but he was Kurt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like it didn't feel that bad honestly like, and it's like i get i kept sitting there like thinking to myself like i get you want me to think everyone's bad and i can acknowledge everyone's bad based on how you're portraying them but because they're not actually really doing anything that bad it's tough for me to really get the full sense of what you're trying to do here the president of the united states does Ooh. worse shit every day involving the stock market and insider, excuse me, insider trading. And yet that's something that doesn't phase anyone in the U.S. anymore. And if happened in this movie, you would say, well, that's just un- unrealistic. Not likely to ever happen and would be uncomprehensible and be viewed as way too out there. And it's just so it like this shit happens all the time now. Right. It doesn't phase anyone. And like they spent so much time just talking business talk, which went over my head when I watched this as a kid. Mm-hmm. Because who who knows anything when you're a kid? That's um, true. I was a dumb child, as we all were. Um, I guess except like Mozart. <laughs> that, that'll be the exception we have as, as an example. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> I bet Mozart watched this movie and was like, "These guys are fucking assholes." Well, Mozart was German, so he'd probably say something in German. But yeah, deep in, I'm dead. <laughs> These guys sure are buttholes. Um. Anyway, um, like they spent so much of the movie just talking about 
you got to buy, 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 then you got to sell, 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 and and uh, showing like you know seeing the chaos of the of the stock exchange. Also, holy shit, can't imagine doing that job. I um, thought the exact same thing. Like, wow, I love finances, but wow, that must be the worst fucking job. I know, right? Like, in when, New York like City. I can't imagine. Like, I would never buy stocks if that was how I had to do it. No, because the other thing is to go through the brokerage, pay the brokerage fee. Like, all I do nowadays is just hop on like my Vanguard app. Exactly. <laughs> and just hit the buy button like the big dumb idiot that I am. I make some eight year old in China do it for me. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Xi Ping. Um <laughs> sorry that one got me. Any any anyway, like this movie is two hours long. And realistically, it only needed to be like forty five minutes. Based on what they have here. Yeah. Like Charlie Sheen, first off, hate Charlie Sheen in this movie. I do not think he did a good job at all. Who's Charlie Sheen? Uh, Bud Fox. No, I said he was just Charlie Sheen. Oh, I mentioned who was Charlie Sheen. <laughs> I'm like, what? Because, like, especially... Hashtag winning. Uh, win, anyway. Because, um, like, he, he he's not a big act. Like, this is... One of the few times I will sit here and say that this needed this movie needed more acting instead of less acting, mm-hmm. and Charlie Sheen did not a lot of acting. Even when he was trying to get angry, it, his face stayed so straight, and he just kind of talked louder. What have you ever seen a, a, a role Charlie Sheen has done where he hasn't been exactly that? That's what I'm saying. Like... It, there's so many like Ro- uh, not Roger Stone, Oliver Stone like standards like Oliver North, like uh, John C. McGinley's in this. You know, like mm-hmm. it's like yeah, I get you like your guys, but like dude, like this, you must have watched this and gone, yeah, it's not going well. Like the scene in the elevator between Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen, Martin Sheen outshines Charlie Sheen so fucking drastically. It, it's it's ridiculous, especially because Martin Sheen is sitting there like actually acting and making it convincing and Charlie Sheen is like trying to yell and it's not going well. Because Martin Sheen is an actually world-renowned actor and Charlie Sheen is a fucking drug, drug addict. Out of yeah. yeah. Um, but like it really came across... Uh, but like no part of Charlie Sheen's story was actually constructed in a way to make you ultimately care. The fact that he has a relationship in this movie is so uninteresting. And Absolutely so fucking irrelevant. Un- like Interior designer. I'm going to be honest. No one in this movie is interesting. No. Honestly, the most interesting person in this film is Gordon Gecko. Um, sure. Huh? I was going to say Martin Sheen, because at least he does stuff. And I, he I'll, has, you know, I'll morals. Take, I'll take either. Well, give me either the, the and the, oh my God, the heavy handedness that is so typical Oliver Stone. Literal blue collar when you first meet him. Um, but I think Gordon Gecko, the fact that he's doing the final scene with like his son playing uh, with toys in uh, in his office is actually kind of an interesting like dynamic between coming off as a good guy with his family but being like a world renowned shithead mm-hmm. in the world of finance is a way more interesting dynamic than anything this movie gives you instead of one dimensional platitudes. But uh, please finish your thought before we go into what my reaction was. So. It just this movie just didn't give you anything to care about. Like Martin Sheen, you you want to care about, and then after he appears in the first scene, you like do not see him again for half the movie. Gordon Gecko is like one dimensional as shit, and doesn't serve any real purpose other than to just kind of push the plot forward. And mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen just is not good in this, and his relationship outside of the relationship he has with the people that are affecting the plot is bullshit. His relationship with John C. McGinley is never really explored outside and they have a falling out apparently that he has to apologize for and i don't remember what that falling out even really was he screamed at him in his office yeah i got like that's the thing like, i got that but like also if i'm john c mcgillian i'll go i don't know charlie she's having a pretty strong tough day over there and oh just yeah because it's wall street i would expect that to be happening right like you go into his office asking him for tips on you know making his money and charlie she's like I don't want to keep doing your fucking job. Go do your job. And also, he's like, how dare you scream at me, sir? And also, on a phone call, and Judge McGilley kept interrupting his phone call. Like, even if it was 
something stupid and nonsensical. Yes, you were being a dick. And then he had to go up. So that relationship was stupid. His relationship with his superiors at the company he was working for was stupid because they kept offering him, like, I'm the sage, old, wise white man. You should listen to my advice. And then he didn't. And then it came back to bite him at the end or whatever. Like, no one. And then, like we said, his girlfriend sucked. Like, everyone sucked. This is such, like, a fucking 1987 bold market. We're invincible. It doesn't matter that we don't have anything interesting going on in this movie. It has Charlie Sheen. It has Michael Douglas. It has cocaine blowjobs and blowjobs making money. Blowjob. Yeah, you're right. There's one. Um, it doesn't matter because we're all living high life, and that's all people care about. I mean, I I fucking guess, man. But like, there was a lot of table setting for what would what you would expect to happen in this movie, and just because you expect something to happen doesn't mean that it's going to be bad if it hits all those notes. There's a difference between expectation and that execution versus unexpected twists that also meet some level of execution. This film was set up to be a story along the lines of which, and for the most part, I think it goes along an expected route, but it, at which you see Charlie Sheen grinding it out on, uh, as a stockbroker, blue-collar dad, He's picking a different role. He's the highly educated dude. He's going to go make a bunch of money, leave his blue-collar ways behind him, outgrow his relationship with his father, have some type of moral epiphany, and then come back to try to bridge the gap between his blue-collar upbringing and his white-collar career. And uh, in some very loose terms, it does that, but it takes the longest, least interesting way to get there to the point where that actual... Um, arc is kind of missing in a lot of ways because even at the end they rush the the mending of his own morality so much he goes from straight up not giving a fuck to being like we gotta take down Gecko on this deal so fast and then the movie just kind of wraps up yeah, I mean, I remember this movie being actually good and enjoyable, and watching it, it's like, I, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah, it's still enjoyable to the sense of you turn your brain off, you watch the pictures moving across the screen, and, and they're good pictures. It's people wearing nice suits, so you're enjoying it. Like, it is by all means enjoyable if you don't really read into it. But at the same time, like, it is a such a poorly written story. Oh my God, it's so poorly written. Like, Production-wise, like shooting-wise, yeah, it's not bad in any extent. It's just the story is is like Swiss cheese. There's Absolutely so many garbage. holes. It's it is not something you put any weight behind. Oh my god, no, it's fucking nonsense. It uh, it was such a frustrating movie to watch, but not like actively where you're like, come on, you wouldn't do that. More passively, right. where you're like, wait, what? Wh- how are we here? Right. Why are we here? Like, you finish the movie and you're like, okay, that wasn't bad. And then you think about it because you're supposed to discuss this on a podcast and you didn't take enough notes. And you're like, <laughs> what even was this? What happened? And this, the worst part about it is that at the end of the day, Charlie Sheen gets arrested for insider trading, which I'm still not sure where the insider trading was. Uh, the information he got. From his dad. And from oh, what was the other guy's name? Um it happened a couple times that Gordon fucked him on. Okay, so that was alright, that's what I had thought. Um with his dad's with the FAA ruling. Yeah. Yeah. Um he gets arrested on an insider trading and then is like it's implied, I guess, that he's bailed out and then gets sucker punched by Gordon Gecko because also gets sucker punched by Gordon Gecko in the middle of what I assume to be um uh, Central Park? No, it's not Central Park. I don't think it's Battery Park. What's the park down Lower Manhattan? Is that Battery Park? I don't know. In the middle of what I'm going to say is Battery Park. In the middle of the day! Gordon Gecko punches him in the mouth and gets into a light scuffle with him in the middle of what is either Central or Battery Park in the middle of the day. The sun is out. It's not the middle of the... He punched a dude in the face in a, in a park in Manhattan at like noon. I don't think that's what you should be getting upset at. I think it's the fact that they're in a major park 
in New York City in the middle of the day. With no one around. And nobody's there. Nobody's there. It's empty. In the for 80s. hundreds of yards. There was no working from home in the 80s. Exactly. Um, but at the end of it, it's just like, even his redemption isn't that satisfying because, yeah, Gordon Gecko lost somewhere between 10 and $60 million. Oh, no. But, like, he's going to he's gonna make that back. He's not, it's not putting him his firm under. It's not, he's not seeing any consequences. And, you know, I, you could sit there and be like, yeah, well, that's the point of the movie. And it's like, all right, but, like, I got I, – I knew that going in that that was a reality. Yeah. I'm not here for that. Like, there's no satisfaction in you just showing me the world when it's, like, that surface level. I get that. I got that. It's understood. The fact that Gordon Gecko missed out on one deal, I'm supposed to care? I really, we spent two hours for that to happen? You know what I mean? Yeah. We spent, we spent two hours building up to an inconvenient Tuesday. That, that's what this was. And that's the entire movie. Like, it's so inconsequential. Yeah. One rich man got a little richer. One rich man got marginally poor. One man goes to jail. That's it. And that is the only difference. Oh, and several thousand workers get paid less now. And he, uh, and he, sa- yeah, and he saved his dad's company. He put in jeopardy anyway yeah. by bringing it to Gecko in the first place. And you know what upsets me? There was this whole like B storyline where Gordon Gecko was fucking his girlfriend, and it's never really realized by Charlie Sheen. That could have been something exciting. When they first meet? Yeah, and even yeah. later on when she's with Gordon, like, walking down the street, like, I think I'm falling for Bud. He's like, well, did you tell him about us? Like, oh, right, oh right, of right, course yeah. not. And it's like, there's several scenes leading us to some climax that could happen between them, and it's never realized. Yeah, the girlfriend character, as we've talked about with many girl characters in the movies uh, that we've watched, is pointless. Absolutely pointless because the the film chooses to do nothing interesting with her. The fact that Charlie Sheen has a girlfriend could be a a a point of uh, could involve conversations where he has actual realizations about himself and his life's choices. And instead, he decides to go out on his balcony, look out at the moon at night, and go, "Who even am I?" Like an edgy teenager before his girlfriend goes, "You come back to bed, Charlie." It is poorly. Poorly designed 1980s penthouse. Which she designed. Which she designed. Uh, but, like, she's she's the least interesting character. When she, she could have been important. And they chose to be like, eh, you know what you're going to do? Nothing. Oh, good old 80s views on women. Love it. Who needs them? All she ever is is in the house. Uh, she cooks for you. She interior designs your house. And, yeah. And she fucks your boss. What more could you want? Yeah, because all women cheat. They're the worst. It's the 80s. Uh, women cheat and they give you blowjobs. Blowjob. <laughs> Seriously, this view, this movie's view on women is ridiculous. And not that it had to be for it to fit the narrative of the 80s, because Lord knows that was not the case. They made a conscious decision to make the women in this movie either A, subservient and cheaters, or B, blowjob machines like those were the two modes and that there was a third option where they're like independent that have original thoughts and can help out with the plot and help people with character development and they chose to go what are you talking about women don't have independent thought they just think whatever we tell them to think josh we're men we wrote this movie oh Oh, man man. i hope oliver stone listens to this and he's just realizing now for the first time am i an asshole he looks over at his wife honey no, Oliver, you are a very good man. Would you like blowjob? <laughs> uh, if you hear a third laugh in the room, that's Cal off in the distance. Someone laughed at a joke I made. This is way better than recording by myself in my room alone. Uh, as we all hope you would be. Um, uh, shall we do final ratings and reviews? Sure. Uh, what are you doing? Um, you know, charging your computer through the electrical currents in my hands. I don't know where the outlets are in this room. It's over. Alright, go up and get it. I don't wanna. Wow, that was very nasally and very uh bad. Oh yeah, yeah. One 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 mic.
It's your movie. Do you want to go first or second? Yeah. Um, this movie was a. Uh, <laughs> go first or second? Yeah. This movie was enjoyable. It offered nothing I really want to think it's over. Um, it's. It's. I've often yeah. said that two and a half is like the bar for what I would recommend or what I would say is considered a good, enjoyable movie. This is such a weird gray area where I enjoyed the movie. If someone asked, hey, should I watch Wall Street? I'd say, yeah, sure, it's good. But I don't know if I'd ever recommend it to someone to watch. So I'm going to give it a two. I think I'm also going to give it a two. It, it, so this is a famous movie, which also makes it kind of tough to not recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Oliver Stone. It has a lot of feel. It's, it's high profile because of all the actors that are in it. Um, the greed speech is a very famous speech from the film. Uh, which also now watching it back um, oh, as an adult is disgusting. cringy. It's that, that is disgusting. disgusting. It's also just dumb. It's just a bad speech. Oh well, it's it came out of nowhere and went nowhere because it's it's really just you know propaganda. It oh, wasn't hundred percent. It wasn't for you know anyone on the board. It was for the regular folk in the room that want to hear some rah rah gung ho. Greed is good to make them feel better about their, you know, stocks. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm going to give it a, a two as well. The plot is nonsense. It's too long. It's not interesting. It It's, as a whole, not well acted only because Charlie Sheen dominates screen time, which means you have to watch him a lot, and he's not good. Michael, you're going to see a really interesting version of Michael Douglas. You're going to see it. A really fun version of Martin Sheen, but they just don't have quite enough screen time, quite enough to do to overshadow the horrendous performance from Charlie Sheen. So I won't even call it horrendous. It's just Charlie Sheen. It's just boring. And it is just Charlie Sheen. Um anyway, so that's that. Let's uh move on to our second film of the of, of today, 2020's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Um is Jewish. Charlie Kaufman? I think so. I think I believe he is. Um, he's a Jewish man from New York. I'd put money on it. Um, it is. Uh, it stars Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, and Tony Collette, um, as well as Professor Lupin, <laughs> uh, David Thewlis. I didn't know um, his name. I just called him Professor Lupin in my head throughout the entire movie. And also, it's Lupin. I said Lupus, and that is really? that is a disease. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it had an estimated budget. Actually, is it even going to be here? It's too new of a movie. Uh, it's not here. I have no estimated budget. I have no box office. It costed X amount of money, and it made Y amount of money. And that's all we go. can say. It's also a Netflix movie, so we're never going to get an accurate read on the box office. Um, it, it does. Also, there is no box office this year. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true too. Um, it doesn't have a tagline, and because it came out this year, it has no awards nominations yet. So <laughs> there's really nothing else to say. Um, it is about, uh, full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. Um, this is my movie choice. I, I did not make it. <laughs> um, so I'll start. This was a trip. This so it's it's Charlie Kaufman. If you've never seen any Charlie Kaufman films, I recommend them. I haven't. Um, really, you never watched Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind? Nope. You never watched um, be, uh, Being John Malkovich? Nope. Uh, well, those are two famous ones. Yep, those are the ones I've heard of, and I was like, wow, I've never watched any of these. Um, you would never or have never. Have never. Have never. I would absolutely. I just haven't. My recommendation, what I think is a great starter Charlie Kaufman film, is called Adaptation. Because not only is it a really interesting movie, it's also one of the best performances from Nicolas Cage. Um, he's actually when really you first good said it, I was like, man, there's just too many movies I have to watch. I don't know if I'm gonna get into it. Then you said that weird sentence. Get ready, Nicolas Cage, and um, oh, oh, who's that really good actress who was just in Doubt? Um, uh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep in the same movie. Do they have sex? No, but they should. Okay. She does have sex with Chris Cooper. Good enough. Who won an Oscar for that movie? And for the sex? Um, for for the sex. Oh, and okay. I think I think um, Nicolas Cage was nominated for that movie. Uh, anyway, it's a really good movie. So th- that that uh, 
Synecdoche. Synecdoche. It's tough. So, Synecdoche. Synecdoche. Synecdoche, New York is the name of Charlie Coffin movie. Synecdoche. Synecdoche. No, no. Synecdoche. It's, it's mispronounced as the title. Schenectady is the town. The city. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. That, which is why I always no, I, get no, it. Now I get what you're getting at. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Schenectady, New York is the movie. Schenectady is the town. Okay. All right. That makes a lot more sense yeah. than you just having a stroke. So I've seen a bunch of Charlie Coffin, Charlie Coffin films. They're really good. They're really weird. So I knew this was going to be weird, and it is weird. Um, something. And what I like about Coffin films is that they're always weird, but they're always internalized in their weirdness. When we watched Holy Mountain, it's very external weird. It's the world around you that's weird for weird reasons. Mm-hmm. Charlie Coffin films, it's weird things happening around you, but they are for internal reasons. There's something inside you that is happening that is causing the actual world to reflect those changes. You have a very puzzled look. Because I cannot connect it to what I saw for two hours and 14 minutes in this film. So we'll get there. Okay. Um, so, and that comes with a little bit of context of, again, having seen a bunch of Charlie Kaufman films. Right. They tend to be about that. So I, I got that going into it. I know the plots of both Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So I get what you're trying to say where it's an internal change that is affecting your perception of the world. But again... Having spent two hours and 14 minutes yesterday watching this movie. We'll get there. I don't know. We'll get there. Um, in terms of how it was made, this is a really interesting movie. And, and I hate to keep giving the caveat of having seen more Charlie Coffin films because I don't want this to make it sound like you have to have that prerequisite. But my my understanding of other Charlie Coffin films, having watched, watched them, is that they're usually like kind of sad and they're kind of quiet. This one had a lot of, like, thriller aspects of it. I thought it was a horror movie. I think Netflix has it coded as a horror movie. Yeah. Which made it really interesting. Because it's just kind of different from what he usually does. I thought it was acted phenomenally. Um, Jesse Plemons is great. I don't know Jesse Buckley from anything else, but she did a great job. I feel like Jesse Plemons was just Jesse Plemons again. Which, well, that's the problem. That He's in the same way Charlie Sheen is Charlie Sheen. He's always good. But he is but that man, creepy. he is typecast. He now. plays that creepy dude so well. Yeah. Oh boy. I I don't have my notes in front of me because I'm an idiot and left them at home. But I had written down that Jesse Plemons and Tony Colletti is a horror movie match made in heaven. Oh, I saw those two on the IMDb page just seeing who would be in this, and I was like, Oh, I'm scared now to watch this movie. <laughs> like the movie could have just been two hours of them looking at each other and I'd be horrified. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. Yep. Um so we'll get into the actual plot. In a bit, but I just want to say on the point of Jesse Plemons and Tony Collette, the scene where they show up to this, you know, creepy house with Tony Collette just waving in the window and Jesse Plemons just like scared to go inside. And then immediately they talk about the basement. I was like, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. It is dark <laughs> outside. I'm here alone. I do not want to watch this movie. It's dark. Pennsylvania. Um, Scary place. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty wacky town. Uh, <laughs> he derisively set up an entire state. Um, <laughs> um, I found this to be really interesting. I saw to, I only watched this. Um, Kel and I only watched this together two days ago, so I still have, I, I'm still not too far removed from it that I have fully felt as though I've sat with it and digested it. Um, I has, I still have more to sit on with it. Um, but I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. What about you? I had watched it yesterday. So this is very fresh. Very fresh. And I will say that I haven't quite been able to even swallow it, let alone digest it. And <laughs> You're still putting it in your mouth. <laughs> and I don't know whether or not I want to spit it back out. I did not enjoy this. Mostly, almost entirely, because I really did not get what it was trying to say or what it was representing in any capacity. Granted, part of that is because I couldn't get into it. And to my own defense, I would add, at no point did it ever explain enough about what was going on to get me into it. 
Oh, well, they're never going to explain. Right. Yeah, it's Charlie Which Kaufman. is why I, I don't necessarily like it to begin with, because it was, having never seen a Charlie Kaufman movie, without there being any explanation why there, there were these glitches in the Matrix for what the fuck was going on that were never explained, never discussed, never never any closure or information added outside of what was being seen and reacted to that would give any understanding other than think about it? Don't think about it? I don't know. I just could not wrap my head around it. Maybe it's just because, you know, that's me and I'm dumb and whatever. I don't care if you want to call me that. If you watch this movie, if you're a huge Tony Kaufman fan and you loved it, present company excluded, and want to say, man, this guy's an idiot. He just didn't get it. Dummy. I don't care. Yeah, obviously. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> I just couldn't enjoy it. At no point was I like, wow, like I, I need to know more. I want to know more. I'm intrigued. It was just I don't know what's going on. I'm waiting for more information to understand the previous context, but it was never given. And maybe it was small little things that I missed that provided that context, provided that information. I never saw it. I never got around it. And I was just left almost empty and confused at the end. (laughs) Mostly because that ending was also really fucking weird. So tell me what you think happened. I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. I thought this was going to be like a fucking... I have a note saying, is this a prequel to the SS McAllister from Black Mirror? And this is just like a computer program gone wrong because the actions of the people in this seem almost animatronic, like early shitty animatronic from like Chuck E. Cheese-like. Charles Entertainment Cheese. Charles Entertainment Cheese. And also, like, really poorly optimized, poorly written, extremely buggy code that has just resulted in wild, wild, like, choices and actions of the people. It seemed like it was computer something. Yeah, this whole movie was CGI. (laughs) I just, I, I... thought it would be a horror movie, I thought it would be X, Y, and it, at no point was it ever given me, did it ever provide me with enough, again, information or context to point me in the right direction for what the fuck happened. So, I guess let's, uh, let's, let's get into it a little bit. Uh, so the movie starts for a pretty extended period of time mm-hmm. with the two of them in, uh, the, that is, um, what are their character names? I'll, I'll try using the character names this time. Uh, Jake and Jesse Buckley doesn't have a character name. Uh, she doesn't. Yeah. So Jake, yeah, Jake and his girlfriend, um, driving in the snow. And Louisa, they say it in the film. Well, so the reason she doesn't have a name is because she has many names at the film. Lucy, Luis, Yvonne, Amy. She's called a bunch of things throughout the course of the film. Um, I'm just realizing, I'm just remembering it now. Um, because I was, yeah. Anyway, um, driving down the road, having a very extended conversation, covering a whole bunch of topics. Um, my initial impression was like, this is going to be the whole movie. So, I, because it, it, I went to IMDb and read the synopsis where it was like, oh, when they get there, he's not what he seems. I was like, oh, they go, they get somewhere. Okay. I was fully prepared for, for pre- prepared for this to be the whole movie, which I think I might have enjoyed more. Well, it, it it was very compelling. I, I think I have in my notes that like it would like this was a real clinic and dialogue because yeah. they cover a lot of ground with their conversations. They're all over the place in a really good way. Right. Um, and it's really it's pretty highbrow and there's some points where it's gonna lose you, you know, like you can only I mean, you know, it's when a very U type movie, very when, highbrow and shut intellectually up. superior. Well <laughs> she was rule. Um like you know what type of movie it's going to be when they start talking about David Foster Wallace, you know, like like you know. I don't know who that is. All right, so no one. You you looked angry when I said that. <laughs> now you don't have to read Infinite Jest, but like you should know the basics. Um, I don't know what that is. It's it's David Foster Wallace. 
<laughs> Has no one else seen a John Cassavetes movie? I don't know. Oh my god. Oh my god. Um, I'm Googling these people. <laughs> who they are. Oh, they had like a lengthy discussion about a woman under the influence. What the fuck are you talking about? It's a John Cassavetes movie. It was John He's a director and an actor who died pretty young. He directed a movie called A Woman Under the Influence. They talk about it in the movie. And, uh, Maybe that's why I don't like this movie, because I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Though. You are not an artist. Oh, <laughs> any, any, anyway. Um, I, for reference, before we go deeper, when I first met Josh... Go deeper. You say that way too often. And I can't. There's only so much I can give you. Um, he's the kind of guy who, every time when I would see him at work, he would be sitting there on his laptop watching a black and white foreign film for three months. And he introduced me to a side of cinema I was never introduced to at an earlier age. And I appreciate him for it. And at the same time, he can go fuck himself because I was very happy watching <laughs> dumb, dumb, simple movies. I just want simple chat. I just want to watch the Dirty Dozen. <laughs> I just want to watch a lot of hand grenades at the Nazis, man. The Dirty Dozen is a film on my film list. <laughs> hey, Dirty Dozen's a great movie. Jim Brown's in it. Oh, man. Oh, Lee Marvin. Anyway. Wait. Yeah? I think so. I think so, too. <laughs> I'm going to look it up just to make sure. Yeah, I feel dumb. Um... You feel dumb? I I would feel dumb. Yeah. I don't I don't always feel dumb. Eh, I feel dumb a lot. Anyway. Uh, the father starts to get older and starts to get younger. You see the mother as she gets older is in very poor health. The father as he when he gets older has dementia. You see Jake and the uh, and the woman not aging and Jake starts to, just kind of behaves how you would expect a son to behave taking care of his parents and the girl doesn't seem to really be reacting at all to these big shifts in the people that are surrounding her. And she also starts to, like, see weird shit. She starts to see a book of, of poetry, and she reads a poem that she had said out loud in the car as though she had written it. She goes down to the basement and sees paintings that were done by Jake or by some artist whose name I forget. Ralph something. Waldo Emerson. Nope, he is a he's an author. Um and um huh? Machio? Yeah, by Ralph Machio. And these were paintings that she had thought that she had painted. And so it, there becomes a questioning of of time and reality that is and she starts to see she pitches these pictures on the wall that for like split seconds she thinks are her and then switch to being like Jake. So it what is happening around her starts having minor shifts. Um, and eventually she, she kind of just like weasels her way out, not weasels, but like, like convinces Jake to like, Hey, let's leave. They then go to this weird dairy queen like shop in the middle of fucking Oklahoma to get ice cream in a blizzard. Um, before stopping off. Yeah, it's kind of like Dairy Queen where they're getting blizzards. You know? They are getting ice cream by blizzards. Um, and then they stop off at the Jake's old high school to throw away the ice cream uh, cups. And then they go inside where they lose each other. The girl has a friendly encounter with a janitor whom scenes of this janitor's life we had seen scattered throughout the film. Uh, at which point she reconnects with Jake. There is a ballet. Which I thought was just, I thought I switched over from HBO to Netflix and was watching uh, <laughs> Matt Finds His Pride. Stuff where that turned into that. Basically. Um, and then ultimately concludes, what was the final scene? Oh, where... I don't know. That's, oh, I, I remember. Uh <laughs> Eventually, and with with eventually ending with uh, it then cuts over back to the janitor. Janitor go back, goes back to his car. He has some kind of episode while undressing. Gets led out of his car by an imagined imagined animated pig. Um, gets brought into a hall 
where Jake, well, in dressed in old age makeup, surrounded by an audience of everybody wearing old age makeup, delivers a speech, sings a song, and then the movie ends. I'm going to be honest. I watched that yesterday. Yes, you did. Even talking about the preceding three minutes, you know, three minutes prior to all of that taking place, I couldn't even remember where that went because of how fucking insane the ending of that movie was and how it offered no information towards what the fuck was happening throughout the rest of the movie. So I'm going to, I'm just going to pull up the, uh, movies wikipedia page just so i can follow along with the the plot of things because i often get myself scatterbrained and i want to make sure i have all the points um anyway so i guess let's talk about what actually happened in it so this is a combination of my interpretation of events and kel and i looking some stuff up afterwards okay you already look sad yeah this whole movie just <laughs> it. Uh, go ahead okay so the way I'm going, to, I'm going to say two versions of most things. The way I had interpreted it, and then what Cal and I had found after we looked it up. Yep. Um, <laughs> I had interpreted Jake and the girl being the same person. Okay. I think it's pretty clear that Jake and the old janitor are the same person. Yes. The okay. janitor, well, him as old. And from there, we can conclude that his parents have aged, yes. and you are also seeing actual Jake take care of his actual parents. And while the view of time is not consistent with the linear nature of the film, it is consistent with the behaviors of the characters in those moments. So his actions, his parents' actions, match with what is going on. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which then brings us to the whole fact, well, what the fuck's up with the girlfriend? And that, in my mind, was an extension of Jake. He was trying to accept... It was a combination of him trying to accept his own reality, his own mortality, and the mortality of his parents, while also creating this little figment that was an amalgamation of everything that he had consumed. You know, it's this person who's reciting poems that he had read. It's this person pretending to have painted pictures that he painted or pretending to paint pictures of painters that he really likes or um, having uh, seen pictures of herself, but it's actually him, right? Okay, that does make a lot of sense. What we found online is a little bit different. It's well, so, um, I forget. I forget if we found this from Charlie Kaufman himself or from just another reviewer. Uh, that the girlfriend is just a made-up character. He completely made her up as a separate character because this is a guy who never brought a girl home and wanted and built his basically built his ideal girl out of these pieces of what he would want in in a woman. So his ideal perfect match wants to break up with him the entire time. So, and this is part of why I kind of thought of it as an extension of self. Right, it, because it's self-doubt, that uncertainty. Right, right. And not only that, but also that extension of not just, I'm not worth anything, a, a, this woman would break up with me, but also, I'm not worth anything, I should kill myself. Because they talk about David Foster Wallace. Yeah. David Foster Wallace, the author who famously killed himself. Famously, sure. In literary circles. <laughs> Famous amongst contestants on Jeopardy. Famous amongst those who have read books. <laughs> I have made it very clear I barely know how to read. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I'm currently trying to get through like the fourth Holocaust book my grandparents are giving me. So I'm also trying to get through a Holocaust book. Nice. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um and I tried reading War and Peace once though. Just that was a fucking clusterfuck of Oh man, I got words. I think I, I think I genuinely think I got through the first like 900 pages and saw that there were 900 left and said, I can't keep doing this. I don't know if in the common release or common, you know, edition that most people read, 
there are entire chapters that take place in French. But that's yes. What the yes! fuck is that? Yes. Oh my god. Okay. The are you just not meant to know what that information is? Right. There were so many. <laughs> I skipped so many pages. Anyway. <laughs> and they're just them talking about like war shit and battle plans in French, yeah. and I'm like, I Which, can't get this from context. Believe me, if it was in English, I would have loved that. That would have been fantastic to read about because that's what I normally read. <laughs> like, about. Are we still at the dinner party? Like, I don't get it. Are you still captured by Napoleon? Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh god, Pe the people who like made that a famous book are just so fucking pretentious ass and assholes. Just fuck you guys. It was the 1800s. Everyone spoke French back then. Oh, well, the Francophiles were everywhere. But anyway, so I think it I think it works well from that end. And then if you look at the ballet scene, I think that's supposed to be Mac your, your yep. I think that's supposed to be your microcosm of the film, right? You see the two of them meet, right? They have a yeah. romance period. I think there's a wedding part to that ballet yes. in there too. Yeah. And then eventually the janitor character comes out to kill Jake, mm -hmm. right? And I took that as being the reality of who Jake is coming to kill this fantasy of him, which is ultimately Jake having to accept his own true reality, which is that he is an old man. He is not some young dude who's going to be in love. He's an right. old man, single man, in his hometown in Oklahoma, with no girlfriend, with aging parents. Which, to an extent, I also took from that. You know, I... Because right. I do agree, my interpretation was that the janitor was the older version of Jeremy Plemons. No, Jesse Plemons. And he was trying to kill off that part of, that part of his life. Right. But I'm just going to let you continue because I, I really only had to add that I did understand some aspect of this film. I'm not completely dumb, guys. You need to understand that. I'm very dumb. Not completely dumb. No, it's much but harder to – it's much harder to, like, quote-unquote, get a movie when you get parts. Right. If you didn't get any of this, it would be way easier for you to, like, wrap your head around it because you just are going to go, oh, I don't get it. Yeah. And But if you get some parts of it and can't tie it together mm – -hmm. Which is the part I always struggle with too, because it's like, all right, I get what that is, and then I get what that is, but I don't get where they meet. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I still am digesting with the film, um, because I I like the Kaufman answer because hell, hey guys, he directed the movie <laughs> and he wrote it. He did. Um, so I think he knows what he's talking about. But I also like my own version of it, which I think is fine. I'm, I obviously am not right <laughs> because. The director of the movie is saying something different than I am, but I do like my own interpretation of it. Um, and then when it comes to the, the the final scene, I don't remember the content of the speech, but I think that's one last moment of Jake projecting what he wanted out of life. So you see him in old man makeup. Instead of him being the janitor, because that would be him putting his actual yeah, self yeah. into that situation, accepting a Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not. It's the fictional young man version of himself in old man makeup aged up <coughs> with everybody in the audience aged up in old man makeup because those people can't age. If his parents had actually aged, it'd be the sad versions of themselves that they currently are, which is ill and with dementia. Yeah. And it's a fake girlfriend that he doesn't know the old age version of because he has concocted her in, in his mind. So she has to be an old age makeup and then everyone's just an old age, old age makeup because they can't, because they're all just figments of his imagination that he can't picture at a, at a heightened age. And it's this one last moment of true denial, mm -hmm. having to be on stage of Oklahoma, something that he probably acted in when he was in high school. I think they brought he up. talked about it. Yeah. yeah. And then sing a song in an onstage set version of his bedroom. And I think that's, that's that last point where he's like, my life could have been this. And instead, I am dying in a van, in a truck, in the parking in the lot. Van down by the river. In Oklahoma, where no one will find you. <laughs> um, so, there, I mean, there's, there's a lot 
here. There's so much here. Like there are details on details on details. Yes. At some points, the actors who are playing the characters change and yes. change back very quickly. And with 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 no attention called to it, like there's a lot of details within this that if we were more astute with our note taking or had any in front of us in the first place, um, we could get into. But I think big picture, that's what I'm looking at with it. I will agree that this film, the way you described it, is something I could easily see myself enjoying. And the idea and intention behind it is quite good. I just think it's so poorly executed that anyone who doesn't have their head up their own asshole uh, can't comprehend what's going on in front of them. I just, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around, you know, how you could view that and understand it without having to look this information up. And that's not what a film should be. It should be self-sustaining. And, and it's just, it's such a convoluted movie. I can't even, I can't even enjoy the understanding of what we've now discussed and, you know, I've been enlightened on what it was representing, but because it was so convoluted in the first place, I can't even enjoy it. So I think this had the foundation to be a very, very good movie. It just was so poorly executed, I couldn't enjoy it in almost any extent. Are you a David Lynch fan? Hit or miss. What are the hits? I need to look at the list. Um, I, I, you're gonna put me on the spot, and I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, this is just curiosity. This isn't like some weird test. Yeah, no, I think it might be. It's not some weird test. I promise. You know, David's Lynch. David's Lynch. Um, Twin Peaks. I've never seen, so I can't really give too much to that. Wow, he has a lot of films. Yeah. The busy guy. Uh, I haven't seen most of these films, so I guess I can't even talk to David Lynch. Because I was going to say, David Lynch was like my intro into, well, that sure is weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, like I remember spending a lot of time having to wrap my head around Eraserhead mm-hmm. and um, Blue Velvet. And then getting, I remember Mulholland Drive being my big like, hey, I think I got this one. <laughs> um. Because what's tough about this film is that it very much so plays like a normal movie, mm-hmm. right? There is a plot. There are very limited sets. Nothing too crazy happens with the sets. There's funky stuff that happens with the characters. And there's nothing so funky that happens plot-wise. But it's about all these details that are ever-changing and the symbolism within mm-hmm. them. And because its surface level is so normal it makes that symbolism kind of tough to grasp. I think my education with like David Lynch type of shit and some like early expressionist film helped because like, if you watch Racerhead, you're going to watch Racerhead and go, what are we doing? (laughs) This set is bizarre. Everyone here is very strange. And I am scared. (laughs) Mom, pick me up. I'm scared. So by the time you get to like Mulholland Drive and things seem kind of normal and then all of a sudden things don't seem so normal, you can kind of get your brain around a little bit better. And that's what I think makes this movie tough, and which is why I would not what they pick him to direct Dune, David Lynch. Yeah, he's great. Well, why him? There's a lot of great directors because he's weird. Sure. Well, you know, I'm not. What a ridiculous choice to this day. <laughs> no, look, you know, no one should be starting out here with like Inland Empire. You know, you want to ease yourself into things. You know, if you're going to do David Lynch, start easy. Start with the Elephant Man. Um, <laughs> and if you're going to start with Charlie Kaufman, this is also not the movie I would start with. And I'm not yeah, even going to sit are. here and... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and even say I'm going to necessarily recommend this one, only because if we're going to do Kaufman, and you want to do this type of Kaufman, I would either... Well, I think easiest Kaufman is still adaptation. I think everyone can get into adaptation. It's pretty... It That that you... Because everyone can understand. That going to be so loud. <laughs> Everyone gets Nicolas Cage. But, like, I think you might enjoy Synecdoche. Synecdoche. Synecdoche? 
Synecdoche. Schenectady. Shut up. <laughs> I hate you. Because um, this is this is tough. Like this is, and I'm I'm not sure I have anything right, and I'm sure I'm missing a ton of details. Mm-hmm. There's still stuff I'm trying to wrap my head around with it. Um, which I love though in a movie. Like that's who I am as a movie watcher. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I'm going to recommend this to anybody to fucking watch on like a Tuesday. And which is why I really appreciate doing this movie podcast with you. You're welcome, buddy. You're welcome. Um. All right, this is my movie, so I guess I'll go first for rating and review. Um. Unless sure. you want to. I mean, my whole synopsis is going to be the last statement. Yeah, I was going to say had. you just kind of did it. Do you yeah. want to just put a star on it? And... I think because the foundation is there for a really good movie. I'm going to give it a one and a half. But because it was so fucking convoluted and gave such little information about what it was trying to represent, I refuse to give it anything hard. All right, then. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. give this a three, a, and a, and a three and a half. Three and a half. Um... I don't really know where in lies the the lack of stars. Um, for me? No, for me. Because okay. um, I'll tell you where the lack of stars come from. Me. Yeah, I don't know where it, because I think while I can appreciate certain aspects of it, I can appreciate the uh, what was it was it Paula Kaline? I always get her name Paula Klein. I always get her name wrong. Uh-huh. Pauline Kale, the Pauline Kale bit, and you know all the literary jargon that I kind of sort of get sometimes and all that shit. Um, it's tough. Like it's a tough movie and that should be acknowledged. And even if you enjoy it, like I did, you still have to acknowledge that the fact that the film medium is by and large a consumer good and that it can like having it be that difficult to get makes you work more, whether you get it or not. And working for during a film can either be rewarding or frustrating. Um, and I like this, which is why I'm giving you, I think you're seeing the two ends of it. I think you're seeing Corwin's end of it where it's frustrating. Um, whether, you know, despite how much you get of it or not, it's frustrating. So that's his one and a half. And I found it difficult, but rewarding where I'm going to give it three and a half. And I think that really is a pretty good spectrum for where you would expect kind of these things to be. Um, this is a really, really good movie in my eyes. Again, I'm not sure I would make this a standard recommendation unless you were like prepared for something like this. Sorry, Corwin. Um, Although I did warn you to probably going to be weird without even, without even having seen it. I I assumed. I don't remember it, but okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. That's something we're going to have to talk about after the podcast. Anyway, but yeah, uh, three and a half, I think is where I'm going to land on it. I enjoy this. I really enjoy this. I'm probably going to end up watching it a second time. At some point, um, but I know. Um, <laughs> shall we pick out next week's movies? Yes. Later I on. have. I am between two. I want you to guess high or low. Is there a number in high or low? Low. Twelve Angry Men. Oh, okay. I haven't watched that movie in forever. I haven't seen it since middle school, Ooh. so I'm very excited to watch it again. Having a more completely formed brain <laughs> and appreciation for film <laughs> and an appreciation for. For law and for society and for, oh yeah. yeah, I feel like I'll definitely definitely be far more interested watching now than I will be have watching when I was fucking twelve. Yeah, Sid- Sydney Lamette movies aren't meant for the average twelve year old. <laughs> Which, looking back, Mrs. Laferve, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I get you want to show kids like eh, you know this is what it means to be living in a just and right society, but it's like it's Sydney. Like, you might as well be showing a kid, like, Networker or Dog Day Afternoon. Um, anyway. So, 12 Angry Men. Um, I am going to go down to the archives and pick a movie I've been wanting to rewatch. I'm going to go with Bob Fosse in All That Jazz. Okay. Haven't seen it, haven't heard of it. Sure. Bob Fosse. You look disgusted when I said that. Sorry. Which is fair. That's most of the reactions I assume you give when I say a lot of the things. I think I think you're gonna like all that jazz. So those are our two we'll movies. See. Yeah. I, I do though. I, okay. I, I stand by that. Usually you're fairly good with those. those I, I usually get a yeah, I usually yeah. get a good read on it. Which um, why you pick so many movies that you think I'm not gonna like. I wanna talk about them. <laughs> yeah, touche. I really can't hold you that. You had to watch the Holy Mountain at some point in your life. 
No, I did not, Josh. Yes, you no, did. I did not. Your movies are never the same after that. Um, they, they'll never be the same after that. I know. Uh, yeah. I guess. Uh, guess that's it. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at at Big Screen Juice. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicingbigscreen at gmail.com. And until next week, uh, that's the show. Bye. What?